Okay. Tonight is Wednesday, May 5th, the year 2004. Our topic's going to be memorial stones. Got me? Memorial stones. No. No. But incidentally, since you brought that up, Mandy mentioned Memorial Day. What does the word memorial mean? Let's talk about a noun first. It can be two things. You can have a memorial. That would be a noun, you know, person, place, or thing, for those of you that were educated in Louisiana like me. So what is a memorial noun? It's an object not so much resembling a memory, because then they would all be different, but something that, an object that signifies an event, that would cause you to be in remembrance of an event. Uh, incidentally, an adjective, when it's used memorial as an adjective, it is anything that serves to bring you into remembrance of a particular event. So the Vietnam War Memorial is an item that signifies a specific event. But it acts as a memorial in the sense that it brings you into remembrance of that. Very slight distinction that makes no difference. The idea, though, is being when we are talking tonight about memorial stones, we're talking about an object or an event, depending on how you use it, that brings you into remembrance of something that happened before. When we use it in those terms, like bring you into remembrance, what is probably the most celebrated memorial that ever happens in a church service? What happens in the Baptist church once a month, in the Methodist church every, you know, once a quarter? Uh, communion. Because that is really a memorial to something that was happening previous. When you do something in remembrance of it, you are commemorating it or it is a memorial. Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him. In other words, the actual things, the actual uh, communion instruments would be a memorial. And then the act of doing this would be a memorial service, right? Those instruments are supposed to remind you of what happened. And then the service brings you into a place where you're remembering that. You got me? Okay. That in mind, we're going to go to Joshua 3. The reason that I'm on this topic this morning is everybody in this room has experienced things in the last two weeks that are worth setting up items of remembrance. Somehow, whether it's figuratively or literally, whether you're writing it down and a book becomes a memorial, or whether you are setting it in your hearts and minds as a memorial stone, there are markers that need to be laid down in your lives because of the trials that you have just been brought through. And in fact, and forgive me, I'm going to be disorganized tonight. If one king took over a kingdom, if he conquered another king, you know what the first thing they did was? They went back and removed all the records of the previous king's glory. If one uh, competing army came in and destroyed another army, they went back and erased all their monuments to their great victories. They chiseled their names out of their monuments. You know why? So that the people would never remember the former glory and want to revolt against the oppression that they were in now to regain it. The first way that the devil begins to defeat us, begins to drag us down, is when he begins to remove from your remembrance all of the great things that God has done. That's, that's the equivalent of a foreign king coming in and chiseling out the Lord of Glory's memorial stones in your heart. 
So you'll find out throughout the Old Testament, they set up memorial stones everywhere. So that when the children would see them, when people would see them, they would be reminded of what God had done there. And more than that, they would ask and it would be an opportunity to learn. You know, you all have heard me say before, even the shepherds recorded the events of their lives on their staff as a memorial. So that when they got into hard times, that thing that they were leaning on, that instrument that they had in their hands every day, reminded them of what God had already done. Well, when Jesus sells a house for more money than you asked for, for it, that's a memorial stone. You know, when the object of your prayer for many months shows up in a service and is receptive, that's a memorial stone. When you're praying for a job, and not just any job, but specific job, and it comes through, that's a memorial stone. You know, there are times that we say so motivated about prayer, and then when it happens, it's like, oh, oh well, you know. We're guilty of Rhoda being at the door. You know, they're praying for Peter to get out of prison. Peter gets out of prison, shouldn't believe it's happening. Except it's not that we don't believe it's happening. It's like we're indifferent. You know, guys, people, we are to throw parties about the things that have happened in our life recently. And here we are on a Wednesday night. And this not, I don't mean this to be convicting to anybody because it's true of me. We're tired and we're apathetic. You know, we're, you know, you, you know you need to be here. You want to be here. But at the same time, you could also just go crawl in bed and be fine. This ought not be the case. You know, we need to force our flesh into line with our spirits. And the Spirit is telling us, set up a memorial stone. The Lord has done great and marvelous things in our lives. I mean, awesome things that if you read about in somebody else's life, you would call a miracle. But because it happened in our lives, it's just part of life. See, we need to get the right perspective on this. Books are being written about these things in heaven. The ongoing book of Acts is recording these events that have happened in our lives in the last few weeks. And it's because they're noteworthy. And yet we just slip from one day right into the other as if every day is just the same. We can't. We can't. The kind of things that have happened. You know, I found myself talking to a gentleman who was here last week about y'all's child, Bethany. You know? And all of a sudden it occurred to me this child had been healed. You know, we're talking about a living, breathing, walking miracle. How many days go by without us even thinking about that, though? You know, that I prayed for Judah, my son, and got exactly what we prayed for. You know, that, that we were asking for God to speak to us. And somebody prophesied and hit it nail on the head for us to move here. We forget about the memorial stones in our lives. We need to do whatever it takes to preserve those. Some of you diary, some of you don't. Uh, you know, I, I understand that. Diary, is that not? Journal. Some of you journal, some of you don't. You need to make it a point to remember the good things God has done. And you know what? When you get discouraging phone calls from relatives, when Sandballot lives across the street, when you're at work and everybody's raining on your parade, you need to run down the, the task menu in your life that shows all the things that God has already done, and it will pull you out of the doldrums that you are wallowing in. And you know what? All of us get there. You know, somebody asked me yesterday, are you all right, Eric? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Well, obviously, I didn't look all right or they wouldn't ask. I didn't even realize it. I seemed down. That's not okay. And it's not okay for somebody to say, well, that's just the way Eric is. Well, Eric's a work in progress, and that needs to change. I didn't even realize that that was the case. But the way that I stop being down is I start thinking about the good things God has done. 
Now, is it a surprise to anybody in here that we teach three messages on spiritual warfare and then we have a week of uh, unmitigated hell? It shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, whatever we preach, we will have to practice. That's why we hung that, that sign up there is to remind us of that. We will get a chance to live out the ideals that we boldly proclaim. And you know what? If it turns out that we do not live out the ideals that we boldly proclaim, we're no better than the churches that we make fun of. Because that's what happened. At some point, they stopped sincerely believing and just started to recite. We, we can't do that. Y'all in Joshua 3? An awesome event happened in Joshua. Okay? And I, I've taught about this from a billion different angles. And I don't know if I even have the capability to read this chapter tonight in the time frame without teaching you everything I know about it. But I'm going to try to get beyond the event and to the memorial stone. That, that's where my goal is. Oh, I know it's uh, warm in here and, you know, those kind of things. Consider that there are people meeting in underground churches right now around the world for fear of their life, but they love Jesus enough to risk it and do it. And you know what? They're holding handwritten copies, if they're holding anything, of the Bible. And they're sharing maybe the book of John that it took somebody smuggling into them and copying. You know, and, and if they get caught, they'll die. I mean, think about that. As we give an hour to the Lord right now, y'all think about that. I mean, there are places that this is not so cheap, that this is not so easy. There are places in the world that they pull your arms and legs off just for sitting in these chairs. This is important. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priest who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark and do not go near it. The thousand yards is a certain number of cubits. That's interesting. It's a shadow in type. But that... That's not what I want to teach tonight. I do want to point out this thing, though. What did it say? You need to watch the ark of God so that you'll know when to move out since you've never been this way before. Number one, if we're going to talk about a faith journey, it's going to take you somewhere you've never been before. Otherwise, it's not faith. As long as you're walking by your sight, knowing what's going to happen, knowing where to go, how to turn, and all, you're still leaning on the arm of the flesh. As much as you get found by Jesus, you need to feel lost in this world, letting Him lead you through it as an alien, as a stranger in this place. So don't be surprised if you're overwhelmed and confused about things that are going on. You're supposed to be. And if others around you don't understand it, listen to me here. Stop listening to them. Do not give audience to people that do not support your faith. It does not matter who they are. Warn a divisive person once after that, don't have anything to do with them. And I don't care whether we're talking about your mother, whether we're talking about your neighbor, whoever it is. In love, tell them, when you say those things, it is bringing my faith down. I need you to stop if we're going to talk. Because if it continues, what will not continue is our speech. I tell you what, if somebody loves you, that is a powerful thing for them to hear. Quit engaging. 
It's wrong for you to engage the enemy in your mind and have a debate with him. Why do we think it's any different when somebody's speaking against your faith? He said, what do you mean against your faith? They're trying to get you to deny Jesus? No. They're speaking negatively about what God has told you to do. You know, you got stoned for that in Israel. That was the law, though. We all like to point out we're under grace. But the law was there for a reason. It does teach you something about how serious that is. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priest who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, I can't get past that line, I'm sorry, don't go near the ark. There was a day when man could not go near the presence of God or he would die. They simply followed it from a distance. We have the opportunity to buddy right up next to the ark. Indeed, to be one with him because the ark is Jesus. There's nothing that's hidden from us. He's opened the heavens to full access to us if we'll simply be bold enough and encouraged enough to try. That's no small thing. These guys that conquered kingdoms didn't get to do what we get to do in worship here. Think about that next time we come in to worship. Get in your mind what a great cost this was. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Friends, I want you all to begin to expect amazing things. The supernatural, super meaning beyond natural, is only supernatural for natural people. For mere men. To a mere man, anything beyond the natural is supernatural. But you weren't born in a natural way. You're not of the natural corruptible seed. You've been born again of God. You're not a mere man. You're God's man. You're in the man Christ. Supernatural for you are to be the norm. We need to begin to expect that. If your heel hurts, you need to expect that it be healed. If your child is sick, you need to expect that your child is well. If you have need of something, you need to expect that it will happen. Not expect because you're great, but because you're born of God, not of the natural way. When supernatural becomes commonplace in the church, it's because the people's hearts are right. Where churches are devoid of miracles and the supernatural moving of God, it's because their hearts are not right. You ever wonder why all the miracles come from missionary stories? The people are in great need. There's no pride there at all. They're willing for God to move anyway because they need Him to. We need to be in that position. Guys, expect amazing things to happen from the Lord. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. There is a day in which God has chosen, and Hebrews calls this day today. It's the day of salvation to exalt Jesus. Here it says Joshua, but you all know that story about the words. In everybody's eyes. By following the ark and going out to the Jordan, which we're going to find out is at flood stage, by doing what God tells you to do, following Jesus, it exalts Jesus in everybody's eyes. They see that they can follow Him instead of a law. And everybody out there is under the law of sin and death. If they're not under the law of Moses, they're under the law of sin and death. Their conscience convicts them of it. They know that they're wrong. 
They feel far from God. They're in darkness because of it. As we begin to follow the ark of God, Jesus will be lifted up in their eyes. They will see it. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of Yahweh, your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that He will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Now, God's telling them that they will see the Jordan split before their eyes. But somebody had to actually step into the water, risk looking like a fool, carrying the ark out there before everybody in order to see that happen. All of us have signed up for that task. Every one of us, the day we got saved, said we would lay aside our life and take up his regardless of the cost. Watch what happens when they do it. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. If you want to reap a harvest in people's lives, you can bet that whatever object you have to cross is going to be at flood stage. You're called to come work here in the harvest. You just entered the flood stage of your life where the water will be up rushing around your neck. It would be hard. It would be scary. It would be worse than any other time in your life. You just move here from some other place because you believe it was God and 75% of the church has. You can expect that it be at flood stage. If you're stepping out there to witness to people at work and you're taking a bold stand, you can expect flood stage. But you know what? The greater the opposition, the greater the suffering, the greater the glory. This story that we're reading would not be the tremendous success that it was if there was not opposition at every... If he got up there and they said, now the Jordan was uh, a tiny little stream that was about to dry up, but God split it. You know, It was three inches wide and God split it and it stood up in a heap six inches tall. You know, That wouldn't be the, the miracle that, that we rejoice that it is. But it was at flood stage. You have to expect when God calls you to do something, the river's going to be at flood stage in your life. And that you will have to step out into it before you see God move. That's just the way that it works. There is no other way in the kingdom. That's why you speak when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost as the Spirit gives utterance. He does not give utterance and then you speak. You speak... And then he gives utterance. See, he always requires the step of faith that he honors. Never does he give you what you want and then you act accordingly. You act it out and then he gives it. That's the way it is all over the Word. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great dis- distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarephan. While the water was flowing down to the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm 
on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now get this. They stepped out. The water split when their feet touched it. They stood on dry ground until what happened? Everybody passed by. As priest of God, and all of you are, your job is to approach the Jordan in the flood stage. Your job is to endure the toughest part of the journey. To stand in the middle, standing in the gap between destruction, the water heaped up on the left, life, no water on the right, and allow people to pass by. They don't ever see the way of salvation if you don't do it. If you don't step out there, if you're not willing to step out in faith. All of us have. All of us have. And we are seeing the Jordan split. Now what we need to do is what they talk about in the fourth chapter. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you to put them down at the, ro- at the place where you stay tonight. Where did they get these stones from? From the very center of their trial. And also, the climax of their trial was also the point at which they saw victory. The water would be the deepest in the middle of the Jordan. The threat to them would be the highest in the middle of the Jordan. And where did the priest go camp out and stay? In the middle of the Jordan. Where did their testimony stones come from? The middle of the Jordan. In your life, Jesus has caused you to cross the Jordan. You have stood in the middle. Here recently with the selling of a house, with, the, with you guys, with moving from one city to another, taking on more expenses for the faith that God has given you. Mandy's an old pro at this. She's already done this twice with this ministry. She's got different scenarios. But now that you have stood in that middle, you take something from that experience with you as a testimony for everybody to see. And you know what? There ought to be something you're happy. Think about this. A young man named David goes out and he faces a giant named Goliath. Were those odds overwhelming? Yeah, they were, weren't they? Did Goliath fall down immediately? Mm, He threatened him. He said, son, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. You think I'm a dog? You come out here with a, a, a stick and some rocks? When David killed him, when David stood in the middle of the Jordan figuratively, what did he do? He took something from the middle of the Jordan with him. He took that Philistine's head. He cut off his head with his own sword. And he left it there, right? No. He carried it with him. Three days later, he's standing before a king, and you see him holding the Philistine's head as a trophy, as a memorial to what the Lord of all the earth had done in his life. Sometime as Christians, as much as we're not allowed to just cling to the past... We do need to have memorial stones. We're going to find out that the priest had them on their garments. One on each shoulder. Had them on the breastplate. They even made their decisions based upon the memorial stones. Guys, you need to be standing looking at the next Jordan that you have to cross. Look at your left shoulder, your right shoulder. See memorial stones that remind you of what Jesus has already done. Then on this breastplate of righteousness that we've taught you about, You need to take a deep breath, ask God to strengthen your heart, look down and see memorial stones on the breastplate so that you have the strength to soldier on and to do what Jesus called you to do. 
Quit throwing away your victories. Now, you can't cling to them as some you know, a prideful person about all that God did in the past as if you don't have to do anything in the future. But at the same time, how ignorant is it of you to forget everything that God has done in the past as if it's no use to carry you through the future? When God does something awesome in your life, it's worth remembering. You know what? It's worth stopping what you're doing and rejoicing about. If Don't just go from some victory into the next day as if it is a common thing. You know, you know how many people there are out there that have stepped out in faith and failed miserably? That stuff happens all of the time. When you see victory, write it on your heart. Write it on your shoulders. Carry it around with you to take you through the next battle. Stop and bask in the radiance of His glory shining upon you. Don't just break out of jail, you know, like Peter did or Paul and Silas did, and then forget what happened. You know, how could we be depressed or upset on the verge of such victory that God has given us? Well, it was hard fought. Well, yeah, but you won. Nobody after a four quarters of a football game that has one more point than the enemy complains about how hard the game was. It's a W or an L. Why do we do that in the kingdom? When God gives you victory, rejoice in it. Cling to it. Expect it again. Get a taste for it. Look for the Lord to do amazing things. Be willing to rush out into the Jordan. Stand in the middle that others might pass by. And when you see it happen, pick up something that will remind you of it and carry it with you the rest of your life. See, that's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of Me. Every time you take the communion, you should be remembering the grace and victory that man has ever known. And as you carry that with you, Paul said he carried around daily the death of Christ in his body that he might bring the life of Christ to everybody else. See, it produces life. We're still in Joshua 4. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Forever. They weren't supposed to forget about them in a year. They were a memorial forever. The events of your life are being recorded in books in heaven. The things that Jesus has done for you in the past 12 months ought to carry you through the next 12 months. You need to rejoice in this. When we write a newsletter, it's going to say the memorial stones. And I'm going to be a paragraph to teach about that. And then we're going to list them. Because this will encourage the children. I say children in quotation marks. It will encourage people who are watching your life to find out what's going on. It will encourage them that they can make it through their Jordan. It will encourage them that there is... Not for us. God is succeeding. It's not us. We're not patting ourselves on the back. Matt and Cass didn't sell that house because they're great salesmen. Although Matt's a great salesman. They sold the house because Yahweh sold the house. You guys are not succeeding. You're not making it over there because you are financial gurus. 
You're succeeding because God called it and you're being obedient. Mandy may be zealous, but she's not succeeding at work in her witness just because she's zealous. It's because it's the leading of Yahweh. Y'all, we need to remember these things. It's worth it. People set up memorials to things in their lives, but you know what they usually are to? The scars. Whatever happened that's bad. And they nurse them, and they polish them, and they take care of them. They carry around tombstones instead of memorial stones. Well, this is when so-and-so hurt me. This is when my parents got divorced. This is why I am the way I am. And these stones are on them that tell everybody exactly what you should not be telling everybody. The memorial stones that are set up there, and the Bible's going to speak about it and we'll read it, that are supposed to be inscribed with the work of a jeweler. It's supposed to be a beautiful thing that causes people to go, oh, wow, that's what God did for you? They should see them like some... You ever see girls get engaged? What do they do? They run around showing everybody that rock, right? Even if it's a teeny little rock. They go show everybody, and it's the work of a jeweler, and it's a beautiful thing. God has done beautiful things for you. You need to show everybody. You need to let it sparkle in His light. Just a little bit of light on one of those things sparkles all over the place. God will use it for His good. Don't be indifferent to what God's doing. Don't act like children that are not appreciative. I'm appreciative. My God, I'm appreciative. I'm so overwhelmed, I still, I can't believe I'm standing in the middle of the Jordan and that it's working, you know? I'm staring at the waters heaped up around me going, it's really happening. Happening. What's happening? This trip to Israel is nothing short of a miracle. You know, for such a little church, and this ought to encourage us, we don't have very much money. These guys know exactly what's in the account. Okay, There's not very much money there. But for such a little church, we've raised the money for whatever we've needed. Whether it's taking five loaves and two fishes, God's multiplied whatever we needed. Told us to build a sanctuary, the money showed up for it. He told us to buy chairs, the money showed up for it. Told me to go to Israel, the money's shown up for it. It's amazing. Those are memorial stones. That's not a testimony to our great financial wizardry. It would have to be wizardry. It would have to be hocus-pocus if it was us. It's God's provision. You know what? The next time there's some great need, the next time God has spoken and said the halls are going to Africa or wherever, Zimbabwe, I don't know, wherever it is, we won't just crawl in a hole and, and our knees shake and scared to death God can't do it. You know why? We've got memorial stones in our life. We know He's done it. You know why they chose stone? It didn't just go away. There's a reason they didn't make it out of chalk. You know, there's a reason these are not clay tablets. They were supposed to endure. In fact, God told them to make them out of onyx for the priest. And they, they kept them. They protected them. Turn to Exodus 28. That's almost all we have to say about that. So we're fixing the close, but I, I want to read you all a couple of scriptures. Is it okay if I'm not reinventing the wheel tonight? You know, we know that God's not impressed with numbers. And we talk about quality and how that's what we're after. But I still have to say I'm a little bit amazed that with as little as we have going on here in the natural, 
we have had so much supernatural happen. With as little as we have going on here in the natural, that we have been given such superb revelation in the last few months. Parables that I've studied all of my life, I've understood. Things that have been a mystery to me have been revealed. Y'all, these are memorial stones. I, I, I confess there are some things about the millennial reign that I just, I still don't have quite worked out, you know. Has that surprised y'all? There's a lot about the Bible I still don't have worked out. And you know what? I'm not worried about it or intimidated about it in the least little bit. Because Jesus opened up those parables in Matthew divinely. I know He will open up the next ones. You know, that's a memorial stone. Figuratively, I've got Goliath's head in my hands, glancing down every now and then, going, <laughs> wondering who the next enemy is going to be. Hey, you see this? <laughs> Everybody see this? This is what God does to those that oppose us. You know, I mean, that, that needs to be our attitude. Preston Cole said one time, quit telling God how big your problems are. Start to tell your problems how big God is. That only happens when the memorial stones are in your life, when you realize it, when you're thinking about it. When the Bible says whatever's good, whatever's excellent, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. It's talking about thinking about the memorial stones in your life. I wish I had a quarter for every time I said memorial stones tonight. Huh? Even I'm getting wearisome with that. He's talking about the great events, the testimonies of your life. Y'all in Matthew 28? Have, yeah, Exodus 28. I got off on a Matthew subject. I'm sorry. Have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priest? Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Now, y'all think about that. When we see churches today wearing their uh, you know, collars and their robes, or these days in some of uh, the African-American-dominated uh, churches, Holy Spirit-dominated churches with high African-American populations, I've noticed the pastors are blending the two. It's a three-piece suit that looks more like a robe. You know, the coat comes all the way down to the knees and vibrant colors. When we see that, we tend to kind of turn up our nose, don't we? Because it's pomp and pageantry. And that's not something that we've been taught to appreciate. But why did Aaron wear this garment, did that say? To give him dignity and honor. That's interesting, isn't it? As I began to kind of tussle with that in my mind and say, so which is it? Do we wear clothes? Should I go get a Pope hat to give me dignity and honor? You know, should, should I show up with a collar here tomorrow for dignity? You know what? We're clothed with Christ. That's where our dignity and our honor comes from because we are clothed in Him when we act like Him. First came the natural, then the spiritual. Whereas Aaron literally wore stones on his shoulders, we're fixing to read. You guys wear them figuratively. Whereas they once bound their hands with the tefillin or the phylacteries and they put it in a box on their head to show that the Word was on their mind and in their hearts and on their hands. Now, it literally is inside of us in a spiritual manner. You, you understand? That's the dignity. And I'm not making fun of anybody's dress. I don't care. Except the Pope. I do that regular to, regularly and it doesn't bother me a bit. The other, other pastors out there that are wearing dresses or whatever it is that they're wearing, 
that's okay. Whatever they think they need to do, I'm satisfied with being clothed with Christ, though, because that brings dignity and honor from whom? From Jesus and those that love Him. Tell all the skilled men to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that they may serve me as priest. Have them use gold and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. You might want to take a stab at that. It repeats it about four times, but I'll get it out of the way for you. Have them use gold, divinity. Have them use blue, heavenly. Have them use purple, royalty. Have them use scarlet, redemption, yarn. Make the ephod of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen the work of a skilled craftsman. It is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners, so that it can be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband is to be like it, of one piece with the ephod and made with gold and with blue and purple and scarlet yarn and with finely twisted linen. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel and order of their birth, six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear, on, bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before Yahweh. As a memorial to who? What is a memorial? It's something that brings you into remembrance, right? Does Yahweh forget? So no, the memorial is for you as you stand in Yahweh's presence. What is significant about those names? God promised a man named Abraham he would have a nation born from him. They were standing in the day where that nation was represented by 12 tribes. So this, these stones represented promises fulfilled. And you know what? Everywhere he went in that ephod to minister before God, he had that on his left shoulder and his right. And we're not going to read it because it's getting late. But you'll find out he had them on his breastplate. And the Lord said, now, now that they're on your breastplate, you have a means for making decisions. You know know what all the commentaries say about that? It's some kind of crazy eight ball. You know? That's that's literally. They they take that with the Urim and the Thummim. And they, they think that it was some kind of means of divining, spiritual divining. I don't see it that way. I see that these were a reminder of the mighty things God had done for them and that would give him a means to make the right decision. Does that make sense to you all? One more memorial that we are going to read about. It's in Exodus 30 and then we're going to close. Incidentally, Webster defines memorial as something that keeps remembrance alive. You know why? The further you get from the events that God has done for you in your life, the easier it is for them to just kind of die. Did that really happen? One night a, a guy actually physically reached out to choke me, then drew back to hit me, 
And in both cases, it was like a sheet of glass was between us. He hit something visibly between us and could go no further. And you know what? I've gone months of my life forgetting that that even happened. I'm thankful that somebody else was there to see it, to remind me so that during times of oppression, when that foreign king, that prince of the power of the air, has attacked me, he's not been able to chisel that one off of my heart and convince me that it didn't actually occur. See, because that testament is still there in me as a memorial stone, and at times it reminds me, I'm your shield and I am your salvation, Eric. No harm will befall you. A thousand can fall at your left and ten thousand at your right. But a plague or a pestilence will not come near you. You know how I know that? Because He's done it for me. It's important that we do whatever it takes to hang on to those things. You ever find yourself crying and fretting about finances? How many times has He already delivered you in the financial realm? Yeah, but this time's different. Why? Did God change? Then it's not any different. You know, how many times do you find yourself wanting to despair and then you think back and it's a situation you've been delivered from before? You say, but yeah, I'm here again. He's going to get weary in rescuing me. We serve a God that doesn't slumber or sleep. He's committed to not let the sun smite you by day nor the moon by night. He will preserve your going out. and your. That's the first scripture I ever learned. I was seven years old. I learned Psalm 121. It's a good psalm to learn. You're not going to look to the mountains for your help. You're going to look to the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Don't forget all that He's done for you. It'll carry you through in your very darkest hour. There was a time period of a few months in my life where I felt like literally every Christian I knew had given me the proverbial left foot of fellowship. Somebody in the world might even say shafted me. You know what carried me through that? I could remember all the high places in my life that the Lord had brought me through. And as much as I wanted to quit and give up, and I did, I wanted to give up the calling. I wanted to give up everything. I was hurt, not mad at anybody. I was hurt. I just thought, I'm not doing well with this Christianity thing. Maybe I need to go do something else. You know why I couldn't? I could not deny a great love for the Lord for every single stone that He had placed in my life, a memorial stone. And all I had to do was be still for a few minutes, and not just one or two or five, or ten, or twenty, but hundreds of events would come to mind. Y'all, that's our strength. That'll bring you the joy of the Lord. In your very darkest hour, you'll be reminded of all He's done. You know, there were some of us in here that were so far from God, it didn't look possible to anyone that we could even be saved. And yet we're here. You know, the testimony about me was it was a face that would wear off. And they didn't think God would actually save somebody like me. And here I am, a preacher of the gospel. That's a memorial stone. That's why when we sent out a newsletter, people that have not seen us in ten years had to pick up the phone and find us to see if it was real. You know? Exodus 30. We're going to close with this. Starting in verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, When you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. Each one who crosses over to those already counted is to give a half shekel, according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over 
those 20 years old or more are to give an offering to the Lord. You notice you're crossing over from those who are under plague and pestilence to those who are redeemed. All who cross over those 20 years old or more are to give an offering to Yahweh. The rich are not to give more than a half shekel and the poor are not to give less when you make the offering to the Lord to atone for your lives. Why don't the rich pay more? Why don't the poor pay less? Because salvation costs everybody the same thing. It costs as much of Jesus' sacrifice to redeem the lowest servant to the highest king. Receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord, making atonement for your lives. They gave money. They gave to have a service in a tent of meeting where sacrifices were offered, where things occurred as an ongoing memorial that these people had been redeemed by God. Every time they looked up, every time they gave money in a census, every time that happened, they remembered that they were bought with a price. God, you'll find out, went out of His way in Israel, His, His nation, to give them memorials. Not only the stones that they set up, every one of the feasts is a memorial. The Passover is a, is a memorial that was repeated for 1,600 years so that they would remember the day that death passed them over and they entered into life. And when a teacher came named Jesus who said, I am the way from death to life, they would recognize it. The events of their lives were memorials for them. Some were wise and saw it. You know, Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there was no guile, he saw it. John, he saw it. James, Andrew, Peter, these men saw it. And we've had great fruit from their lives. Your lives, you need to begin to take an accounting of the memorials Jesus has given you. It will pull you out of despair. It will cause you to enter in joy. You will walk in victory. And what I didn't read, you'll have a means for making your decisions. Because like it or not, the times you fail God is when you don't have the courage to do, do what He told you to do because you've lost track of what He's done for you and you don't think He's big enough to pull it off. Here recently we've seen nothing but victory. That ought to pull us through the next valley to the next victory. Y'all record them on your hearts. Do whatever it takes. Tell them to people. Let this be a testimony. Your testimony is not the day you got saved. That's, that's the beginning of your testimony. Your testimony is what the Lord has done and is doing for you. You know, everybody's got, everybody in Christ has the testimony, well, I was wicked, now I'm born again. And they make themselves more wicked to try to make it a bigger testimony. The testimony is that you're still in Christ, though you've been through trials, that you're succeeding, that you're advancing the kingdom. You know, you know what the most powerful testimony that I have, the thing I'm most proud of? It's not the day I got saved. It's that everywhere I've ever lived, everywhere I've ever worked, I've left behind me spirit-filled Christians. I'm more proud of that than anything else because I'm taking the kingdom that has taken hold of me. I'm taking that. That's something that encourages me when I'm sitting at pain care and I don't see anything happening. Say, so, wait a minute. Bank One gave up its people. UC Lending gave up its people. Homestead Mortgage gave up its people. Security Online gave up its people. Hibernia gave up its people. Wilson Ice gave up its people. The chemical plants gave up their people. Paincare is going to give up its dead for me too. You know, those are memorial stones. You need to think in those terms. Y'all stand up. Let's pray.